Hi, welcome to my channel. My name is Lisa Allistway and I create inspirational and informational videos you can use and apply to your life. My guest today is Slade Ham, who is a comedian, author, entrepreneur, and podcaster based in Houston, Texas. Slade averages more than 200 comedy shows a year and has performed in 54 countries on six different continents over the last 20 years. He has also taken his show overseas to the United States military twice a year for the last decade. He is a regular on the nationally syndicated Bob and Tom show, co-host of the Outlaw Dave show in Houston and host of the widely popular bi-weekly Whiskey Brothers podcast. His real passions lie on the road by traveling the world and collecting stories. I will be linking Slade's website and YouTube channel below in the description box for your reference. Welcome, Slade. Hi. Hi. It is good to be here. Good to see it, you again. Yes, indeed. So um, let's start with the comedian angle, because that's how I know you and I've met you through the comedy world. Can you tell us a little bit how you got started in being a comedian? It is stand up is a you stumble into these things in life, right? Like I, you don't, you don't always know when you're young, what you want to do. People ask you, what are you, what are you going to be when you grow up? It was, I want to be a T-Rex for like my first eight years. So it's stand up was this thing I had been trying to, I'd gone from working in various different, you know, at a Joe's crab shack or at a, uh, at a, at a best buy where I was, you know, uh, putting CDs out on a show. You, you just don't know. And then one day you find yourself bartending at a comedy club, uh, to make a very long story short. I thought about it. I'd done radio before. I kind of had um, things in my brain that I thought were funny. I'd written stuff down as long as I could remember. You sort of find yourself. I think it's a, it's a very interesting thing if you look back at your life at certain phases and you'll see threads where you're like, oh, I've always been doing this. I just didn't know that this was a thing I could do. You know, you write down your funny stuff. You lay in there and watch A&E's Evening at the Improv at 10 o'clock at night after the family's gone to bed and you write down bits that comics told and you go to school the next day and you're the funniest seventh grader that's ever existed. You, you, you go to lunch and the thing that keeps you from getting beat up is the fact that you're really good at your mama jokes. Uh, <laughs> all of these, these little trends and, and suddenly comedy becomes a defense mechanism uh, for a million other reasons, you know, as you're growing yeah. up. And those things converge. One day you're bartending in this comedy club and your friends put your name in the open mic bucket and suddenly your name gets called and 20 years of everything you've ever thought that is funny rushes into your brain and you mess it all up, but you're in front of strangers and there's applause and this instant gratification you never got at the radio station or in mm -hmm. other aspects of your life. And it's this drug that just uh, hits your veins. You're like, oh my God, I'm doing this forever. And it takes a while to turn that into a career, of course, but the, that initial just first rush was, that's how you become a comedian, that you right there. Hooked. You get hooked, but it's definitely a grind. I know that you don't become, I don't know, instant famous. Usually you have to put in the work, you have to pay the dues. And I know that you have, you spent many years in the comedy clubs perfecting your jokes and, um, and you've had a very unique career because you've not only traveled nationally, you've traveled internationally and have, and have performed for the United States military. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience? The, they're the most receptive audiences in the world. Um, it's I've played every incarnation of a military installation that you can imagine from 
the big ones, Rammstein and Kadena and these giant just 20 and 30,000 people cities that exist in other countries and they're American with Burger Kings and bowling alleys and you show up there and it's, I want to say they're, they're not unappreciative by any means. It's live comedy and they're there and they're, they're you know, serving time and we're there to entertain them. So it's all remarkable. But it's not the same when they have, you know, when they have options to, oh, we went to Chili's and then we went to the movies and now here's stand-up comedy, which happens on a base that size versus the little spots in Iraq or Afghanistan or Niger or some of these just places where there's no real infrastructure and everybody's kind of intense and the internet's spotty on the best days and you're taking showers between midnight and 6 a.m. because the sun has heated the the water bladders to the point where it's scalding the rest of the day and you, you go sit in the little room and read books or play video games, but it's, it's, a, it's a totally different environment. So once you get out there and you're putting on a show, you just, there's nothing comparable to it stateside, I don't think. And that's, that's the ego part of me. It's like, ah, the, you know, the, the adrenaline rush of it. Yeah. But then the human side too is that you end up spending so much time with these guys after the shows, like you'll, in Iraq, for instance, you'd chop her in, would get picked up in the morning on a Blackhawk, they'd fly us out to one base, we'd drop off, do a show, get picked back up, go to another one. And in between, each one of these would be like a little three or four hour packet of us showing up, kind of taking a little tour of the base or whatever, and then we do the show, and then you have to sit there and wait for the choppers to come back in. So you end up with these remarkable opportunities to just talk. There's nothing to do. We sat there and hit golf balls out into the desert one night, me and a couple of guys, and just talking about their lives and ours and what they want and where they came from and situations you probably wouldn't find yourself in with people you wouldn't find yourself in. And it's a it's a beautiful little convergence. And I just I'll never stop doing it. I know I know the you think about the suicide rate in the military. Um, it's I don't know what it is for active duty right now. I know it's 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 up there and it's scary, um, but amongst veterans and people that have left the service it's 22 a day which is i mean that's you see the push-up challenges and all those things so people know they know the number but the reality of i mean it's, it's a human being every hour and it's indicative of a lot of i mean those people are coming back with psychological issues and some trauma and depending on which part of their lives they were in for have seen some horrible horrible things and we're very callous about it when they get back so i just i recognize that there's this one little moment where i get to collide with them and if i can change anything in there in that little collision then cool um yes. yay i'm doing something awesome i think yes i mean i i value comedians and what they're doing and just trying to bring some levity to hardships in life and just you need to laugh and i really appreciate what comedy brings to our life and sense of humor and if I always say, if it's the last thing I lose, I hope it's my sense of humor. So mm -hmm. I'm sure that the military appreciated just in that brief moment to be able to laugh in a serious situation. So it's really breaking yeah. that it's breaking that protocol, I think, is the cool part you get. I remember <laughs> this is I don't know. We were in we were in Afghanistan and uh, we're very good about when you go to these little spots, trying to get them to take us to do something that allows them to break character for a bit they get to kind of you know we're there in non-military uniforms so we'll they'll let us bring us out they'll bring us out to shoot whatever weapons or to drive certain vehicles or to do some really cool stuff and in the process of all of that we get to laugh they still get to show off their skills and things so in one spot my buddy sam who was one of the comics on tour damaris uh 
we're on a little operating base that is a tank base. There's M1 Abrams lined up down this stretch, and Sam goes, can we drive one? And the guy goes, absolutely not, which is the proper answer to anyone who asks you to drive their tank. You should, no, you cannot drive my tank. And Sam goes, why not? And the guy just kind of looks at him. And then Sam goes, well, they let us drive a boat on the Navy base the other day. And instantly, it was like the dude walked back to the dealership to get the keys. Lisa, we had, a, we had an M1 Abrams tank on a runway, and I'm getting to drive it. And oh, wow. it was, oh, the most incredible th just feeling of like yeah. every G.I. Joe dream you've ever had as a kid. Now, as the choppers came in and we all had to stop and leave, uh, one of the guys backed the tank back into its spot, and he backed it into another tank and blew a reactor panel on the tank, which was uh, not a good thing and probably a very, very costly mistake uh, that, that cost taxpayers a lot of money just to let three comics drive a tank. Um, but they got a story out of the whole thing, so that makes very it cool. You know, listening to you, um, there's a real lesson here because I think people or anyone that's interested in becoming a comedian don't be boxed in. Slade is a great example of how he got out of the box. And I mean, he did this amazing uh, comedy tour for the US military for 10 years and will continue to do that. So I think uh, it's really cool that you, uh, you don't stay in that box. You have to think big. You can't box boxes are so we get we get pigeonholed into stuff and this some, some of this will sound cliche and we all know it and I'll try to duck past those parts because it's we the platitudes are wonderful get out of your box do something different and we all say that and then yeah. we just go all right cool well I'm gonna go think about that in my box which is mm -hmm. which is what we do I'm a I recognize quickly like there's there's a lot of work in stand up comedy we you you, you alluded to that earlier that it's mm -hmm. a you it's a grind. really oh it's beyond a grind like what you see on stage is the formality that's the part of it um and i'm gonna get sidetracked here in a minute so feel free to bring me back on target okay. but like last night we had a or night before last we had a show at the houston improv and i've it's probably the only place i've played more than once uh since this whole thing happened i haven't been out a ton i've been out a little um if i'm gonna play home and i'm gonna play in front of people that know me and fans then i have to bring a different show you can't just go up hey, here's that same thing you saw six months ago. As we know, stand-up requires surprise. And if you know every bit, then there's really, it's not like going to see a band where it's Leonard Skinner and you want to see Freebird. This is you want to be taken off guard. Surprise, you got me to laugh. So if you're going to come to a show in Houston, I have to give you something different. To do that, usually I'd have months and months of stage time to work that out. In a, in a quarantine where I'm not on the road, I don't have that. So I've got to go, I've got to craft 20 minutes. I, we were doing, it was five of us doing 20 minute sets, which, you know, I'm usually doing an hour. In 20 though, that's brand new, requires, I, I, if I told you how much work went into 20 minutes of stage ready stand up, it would blow your mind. It's, it's more hours and contemplation and reworking and rewriting. And I know you had Andy Huggins on here as a guest yeah. who is one of the most diligent writers. It, it, even he makes me, I just sit back and I, I go, ah, I'll never be that. The, the amount of just moving words around and doing yeah. things and then trying them and adjusting and this and that. By the time you get up there, it's, it's just you're seeing the here's the finished cake you haven't been in the kitchen for the, the amount of time it's taken and everything is like that 
right? Like we we tell ourselves, oh, well, I'm just gonna comedy's the one that always like all the celebrities go to. They 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 get off a sitcom or they right. they finish what they're doing and they and how many of them have we you've seen some of the mm-hmm. clubs that I've frequented the people yeah. they bring through it was stormy daniels and right. some of these other people they all go to comedy like doing this is the easiest thing in the world yeah. and i giggle at that because i know it's not and by extension i've learned that nothing else is that you can't if you're going to cross discipline right if you're going to go okay i'm going to go even from even to something adjacent from stand up to say filmmaking in some ways right uh, or podcasting those are entirely different arenas you know from the podcasting realm it is there's so much to take into account and so much to learn and so much structure that is not just well turn the turn the microphones on and let's just talk that's that's what everyone thinks it is so it's important to me to go find i spend all my time mastering stand-up and that's that's what i'm best at but i like going into these other arenas and finding the core set you don't have to master it you just go what are the what are the basics? It's basketball is not, there's a lot of nuance to it, but if you can get a basic jump shot and a dribble down, suddenly you're light years past the guy who doesn't even understand the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. And that's that's where I found myself interested. Let me just go figure out the fundamentals of these other things. And one, see if I like any of them. And then two, see where they sort of stick together with the stuff I'm already doing. I'm I'm big on taking the pieces that work for me and then leaving the stuff that doesn't i'll i'll abandon something mid-project if it doesn't work i'll quit reading a book right in the middle of it if it stops serving me and i but i'll take the pieces that do and that's kind of the that's where i think the box talk is you don't have to actively choose to go do something else just let your curiosity lead Mm -hmm. you for a minute spend I spend, I, it's not, it's not a hard time, but I, my morning routine is kind of sacred to me a little bit. And it's not, some people are like, I do exactly this and exactly this and exactly this. And I just carve, there's this hour where I just do some number or combination of a few things that make me happy. Um, I try to journal every day. I don't, um, I, I try to work out every morning. I don't, I come close. I get, you know, I'm, I'm probably batting 95% on those things. Uh, I have, I have arrangements with myself that, you know, just in the morning, it's a, you have to do 25 pushups. Like that's a, mm-hmm. if you do nothing else, you have to do that. You have to write one line in your journal just one and it's the that act of showing up never have i ever just done 25 push-ups never have i just done one line you can't yeah. once you show up everything kicks into place and that's the that's the catalyst you have to get but it's the going through those little motions and part of what i do in that hour is i allow myself the freedom to just explore i'll go to youtube i let myself rabbit hole i'll start in one oh this video looks cool next thing you know i'm I'm watching this or that um i just my newsletter that went out this morning had a it was about one of these videos that i'd stumbled across with these great white sharks and and these surfers and some drone footage of their proximity and all of a sudden i just i became mesmerized i I must have spent an hour that morning just looking at how close human beings actually get to sharks all the time while they're surfing and some of this video footage and how 
these imagined fears we have are just made up and we're really, you know, the sharks aren't that dangerous. That's the kind of stuff. If you don't let yourself go down those roads, you're yeah. never going to stumble on anything else you enjoy. As, as I'm listening to you, I can hear your creative brain, which is a requirement for a comedian. And I, and I know that your skills that you had learned as a comedian have really adapted well and progressed into other areas. Uh, for example, you uh, are a writer. You have mm -hmm. uh, written a book and you're a world traveler, which I know comedy has taken you to all parts of the world, but that's also a true passion of yours. Can you talk a little bit about your writing and your traveling and how comedy you know, took you to all of that? It, comedy is comedy is this weird door into so many different things that I had no plans of ever exploring, to be perfectly mm -hmm. honest. I think everything I'm doing right now is some weird extension of it. Uh, mm -hmm. I'll try to elaborate. The In terms of the travel and stuff, I was a, I was a very, I grew up in Beaumont, Texas. So my first, I Orange, Texas for 10 years and then Beaumont for the next 20. Uh, I moved to LA at 30. When I started comedy though, there was, I'd never left the Gulf Coast of the United States. So I, Texas over to Florida, I think for a, a Disney World trip with my dad, maybe when I was eight or nine. And then the, I went to St. Louis once on a plane to visit some friends and that was all, so it was, I had no world experience. I had no yeah. concept of anything other than our dumb little Southeast Texas world. And I went to Germany in 2001 and I was very, very far down on the list of comics to go. They were, I had signed up with this company and I was like, I want to go. And they were like, yeah, sure. We'll put you on the list. And after 9-11 happened, I guess that was, so 9-11, 2001, I went in the early part of October that same year. Planes had just gone back in the air. It's like three or four weeks after. I had to look at my passport. Um, and I got the call because every comic had dropped out before that. They were like, I'm not flying right now. And they get to me, 22, 23, however old I was. And I'm, I don't know enough to be scared is the thing. I don't have a single point of reference. The whole world is piney woods and the creek and the ice. So you just go, okay. And you find yourself in Germany in the middle of a war. Like this is these people at Rammstein Air Base and Simbach, I think the two we played, were a lot of the loadmasters who were basically waking up in the morning and putting all the relief supplies onto the cargo planes that were flying out over Afghanistan. And it was just, it was sensory overload to me. I just, people and ideas and thought, it was, it was overwhelming and I was, admittedly an embarrassing American back, you know, I don't look back at that. I'm like, I think God, there was no footage and we weren't in the world we are now. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it was so much learning and so much of the, and it just, it kicked open this door. I let my curiosity and ignorance lead me down a road. It lit something up on me and suddenly it became a, how many places are there? Like, like where else can I go? It was, yeah. And all of, it's very weird too. This is, uh, as I have two or three other things I still want to say on this topic, but it's, we always, we're so quick now to, to quash the way we think about other cultures. And this is going to sound odd, but there's a lot of stereotype and generalization to, to all of us, of course. We think, you know, when it comes to Asian culture, African culture, European culture, American culture, we all instantly, you, auto, you automatically got a flash image in your brain, whether you wanted to or not, of your impression of that. And society 
leans into that. Commercials lean into that. You know, you ever see those come to Africa commercials and it's the lady in the very bright garb and the, you know, it's or the Caribbean or they always grab these romanticized stereotypical versions of these places. And that's what we live with in our heads. Asia, what my whole exploration of Asia came from me having very basic generalized concepts of what it was it was you know the food and the culture and the the martial arts and the, all of the things that you we as americans ingest as asia they were very stereotypical things to me geisha girls and this and that and i'd romanticized japanese culture because of the media i was into and the games and the stuff and that's what led me over there this i was chasing romanticized stereotypes in my brain and when I got there, what what was there, in fact, was so much cooler than any of the dumb basic stuff I had. So I don't discourage a lot of that. You know, it be, mm -hmm. it's whether, you know, it's cultural appropriation with these clothes or this thing or the, you know, in your art. And I'm like, man, just dig into that. Be wrong about it. But if it intrigues you enough to ever actually want to go see it for yourself, mm -hmm. then I think I don't I don't see the danger in all of that. So. Yeah. That's a, I play with some of those things on stage. I'm not as afraid to go down some of those roads, I don't think, because I think the net positive mm -hmm. is there. And, and that's how, so all of this sort of, each hand washes the other, right? It's mm -hmm. my concept of comedy and how I approach comedy because I have to be a multi-step thinker in stand-up. You have to, if you're going to write a joke, you have to throw the first thing out, right? I can't do a joke where the punchline is that's what she said because as an audience member you've already gotten there you've already used all of the basic thought processes to get to the easy punchline or two it's my job to go past that and have pre-written something that was further than your expectations or ability to get to in the audience um so i have to think that way my natural tendency is whatever the first idea that comes into my head is comedy or otherwise i just have to get it out it's just like, oh no, that's never gonna work. That came too easy. You wait till the second or third thing. And that is the kind of thing that has led me into all these cool places. I go travel and it's like, okay, I don't wanna go to the just the places everybody else goes, right? If you go to Istanbul, sure you wanna see the Grand Mosque and you wanna see, or the Blue Mosque and you also wanna see the Grand Bazaar, but those things aren't the first things my brain goes to. My brain immediately goes, well, everybody got there. That can't be the best place. I want to go see what they missed. And that's, that's how comedy affects the other way around. Um, it's also a, it teaches you to multitask. Uh, it's a, if you look at stand-up, what you're watching on stage is the part I'm delivering. You're not, much like if we're, you know, as we're sitting here, on zoom we're not we're only i'm looking at your picture and you're looking at mine and we're communicating and we take for granted all of the stuff happening underneath there's lines and lines and lines of code and bits and bytes and this and math and science i sure as hell don't understand going on underneath here and that's that's a lot of what stand-up is you're watching the joke and i'm processing so much data that's happening in front of me, right? I'm looking at your faces and listening to your, your response is my first metric for how I'm doing. Uh, but I'm also, there's, there's energy to that room and I'm deciding whether or not the road I'm going down is right. I'm, I'm processing that. And then if it's not the right road or if I wanna go down a different road, to where? 
is it going to be this bit or this bit? Or if I do that, what about this? And then, oh, man, that new bit goes into this. And if I put that between this and that, then all of us, oh, man, do I know that new punchline? Because that's the whole bit hinges on this punchline. And if I don't, where's my train? And the whole time I'm talking and I'm in the middle of a bit and it's that's the routine running under there. And then I might venture. I'm doing taxes sometimes. It's a you can you can multitask mm -hmm. in in these live environments. And that's I've, I've found that very uh, useful down the line where, you, oh, I yeah. can I can split my focus or attention in a you know, and we'll get to some of the entrepreneurial stuff later. But the I can be in a, a conversation with one person and legitimately be processing another conversation and not necessarily being unpresent in that current conversation mm -hmm. it's a and that's i think that that's that's like that mastery level 20 years in you're oh i finally know how to do that now um yeah. i don't think sometimes people realize the intelligence that's needed to be a really good comedian You've well got, i you, you can got, be like stupid you, <laughs> you can be it's a intelligence is a it's part of it there's a there's a very specific ability though to compartmentalize and also detach from that i think transcends the intelligence when it mm. comes to stand up because i think intelligence would indicate that you you've really thought through some things that you've really that there's some self-awareness to some of the bits and i don't always see that especially in some of the young comics where you just go oh you haven't processed all of the whys and the hows and the what's to this bit you're just mm -hmm. you got you understand though the the pieces and the elements and you do get those fundamental but you don't get the the way it's going to impact an audience or how else that's going to change what you're talking about later and those are the things where I'm like, if you were truly intelligent, you would have put that puzzle together. Yes. You just happen to be really good at at writing great punchlines to funny subjects. Yes, yes. Um, can we talk a little bit about the inversion of comedy that we're, we've seen in the last few years? Because traditionally, comics have always been known to poke at the system, right? Mm -hmm. And we're starting to see some comments that are walking on eggshells that are not sure that they can poke at the system anymore. And uh, I don't know, I just thought maybe, you know, that's something to think about when the real world is somewhat carnival-like and the real world is the joke. <laughs> How do <laughs> comics like handle this inversion of comedy that's happening? Well, we're, it's, there, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of joke forms, right? You can break comedy down to probably nine or 10 different uh, types of jokes. Uh, Matthew Broussard and I had a long conversation about this on uh, my eyes, one of the Eyes on the Ground episodes that I did last year. And it's a, on one end of the spectrum is, is the pun, the very easy, you know, uh, just play on words. The other end of the spectrum is this, this, the paradox, this very difficult, hard to pull off uh, meta kind of concept doesn't always work. Um, and in between is the, the normal stuff. Most of the tools that we always use as stand-ups. Uh, and hyperbole is a big one. Um, simply taking something and making it bigger than it is. That's the, that's the your mama jokes as a kid, right? It's she didn't actually, the scale didn't actually say one at a time, please. That's the, hyper, that's the hyperbolic version. And when the world is so naturally past where you would have gone with your joke, 
mm-hmm. it's and I, you know, uh, the politics aside, every yeah. every single person in power is there trying to maintain power. And as comics, that's a very safe group to punch at. Usually, the the target is, and it, it, there's a window, and that window moves. Um, on one end is the people that there's a, there's small groups of people they can't defend themselves. It's very fringe. We're always allowed to. I would say we're allowed to talk about them, but collectively, humanly, we feel safe talking about them because they're so small. They don't represent us, right? people into weird sexual proclivities or people into these odd niche things. And we go, oh, we can make fun of that, right? Foot fetishes or what? That's funny. Ha ha ha. Because they're not around us all the time. Yeah. On the other end, you have you have the powerful, the politicians, the 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 celebrities, the those people. Mm-hmm. And they're safe to make fun of because they're insulated. There's nothing we could ever possibly do to hurt them. And that's just how we psychologically as people always cite the gun right anything inside of that is us we can't talk about that and what moves in and out of that changes it's it's 20 years ago 30 years ago the things that are now i won't say off limits but the things that we collectively agree hey these are good things these are us this is who we are as people and they fall into this category and we're no longer going to belittle or make fun of or take shots at them because that's just not who we are that 20 years from now that will change I don't know that 20 years from now, the world is not going to be made up of nothing but foot fetishists. And I'm going to have to apologize for that podcast I did back in 2021, where I said something about foot fetishists. So it's, I, I try to aim at one of those two. I try to not aim at the small groups unless it's really, really funny and hilarious to me. I try to aim and punch up as much as I can. But when up is being more ridiculous than I can imagine, you They're the punchline to. already. <laughs> You're working. Yeah. You well, but you but then the then the the target changes, right? Because now it's a different problem. When we've allowed the things that we used to have to bring down a little bit, when those things are planting landmines and doing controlled demolitions of themselves, it's no longer it doesn't serve me to go over and throw a few more firecrackers into that explosion. It's better for me to go, okay. Let me step back and now let's talk about the fact that the skyline is imploding. That mm-hmm. becomes a different topic. And so, so it's that's all this ever is for me. It's yeah. a pivot to where the problematic is. When it's just normal people making bad decisions at the top, then that's what I get to shoot at. When the top is disintegrating and letting us down across the board, regardless of where you are, and the, the structure of our country is kind of just in these crazy, weird state of flux, then the subject is no longer those people. The subject is this, this entire landscape we're looking at. And that's what I, I think you'll start to see a bit of that shift with comedy, just in that it's not entertaining to say anything about these people. They're, they're doing it for themselves. Mm-hmm, for sure. Something else to talk about. <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, so in, in being a comedian, you have influences in your life. Who would you say that you kind of looked up to as role models that kind of made slave slave hands influence as a comedian. Uh, it's a man that is a it's a loaded question because there's internal and there's external, right? There's people in your life that you know, um, and then there's the the influences. There's certainly my my 
outside influences my 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 holy trinity of stand up which is which is prior carlin and cosby uh and i leave cosby in there because i'm i'm mm. separating the person from the art there's no way yeah. that i can have an honest conversation about stand up comedy that doesn't include bill cosby's himself that's it's one of the most incredible pieces of storytelling that's ever existed and and that's his storytelling ability Carlin's ability to just comment on the human condition um, and then as an observer and then prior being the most honest human being who I ever think like there's just an element to nothing is off limits if prior could talk about all that and make yeah. it funny. So those are my influences there. And then, you know, you see comics along the way. Personally, though, I. <sighs> It's, it's hard to narrow down, and I don't want this to sound like I'm, nobody really helped me out. There were a ton of people that helped me and a lot of people that pointed me different directions, but there was no, I never had that, I had a mentor. I had these people along the way that taught me how to navigate very specific circumstances. I, I remember, and I, I give him, he's, he's passed away now, uh, he was a very funny comedian named Tom Webb, uh, and he's, he must have died at the age of 80 something older black guy rail thin always wore a suit you just you know this guy without knowing this guy he never had a i've never seen him have a bad day you couldn't be in his presence without it being just awesome oh black man energy it was perfect <laughs> and we we became friends he played i had a comedy club that he played and when i started out he ran a room called times square and it was T-Y-M-E-S square uh, down off Almeda Genoa in 288 in a very, very uh, not great part of Houston. And every night was chaos in this bar. They would hold an open mic on Wednesdays. And if you went and you succeeded at this open mic, you could, you could sleep at night. You had made it as a comic. It was chaos and war. And I was frequently, uh, not for every single time, I was the only white guy that ever went to this room. It just was, it was the, Houston is always, not Houston, but comedy, very, very, I want to say segregated, but separated in, there's a, there's a black circuit and then there's a mainstream circuit. It's been like that for forever. You had BET and Deaf Comedy Jam and those comics rarely came over to the mainstream and the mainstream never went that direction. It was a terrifying place to be and i was so young and dumb and i was like this kid who had grown up in beaumont and again my I'm, I'm relying on these defense mechanisms i had in middle school which were weirdly you know the same thing that ended up getting i was the dude at the table with all the black guys making the jokes right that's the bring him over get the white guy bring him over bring him <laughs> over that follows me from seventh grade into this this comedy world where it's now applicable and Tom Webb saw that and he brought me over to this lunch table where it, it, it created me. There was like this, you couldn't scare me after my first two or three years of going to Times Square. There's nothing that was ever going to show up at Comedy Showcase or the improv that was going to happen in that crowd that ever could be more terrifying than the shadow of a black cowboy throwing a shot glass at you because he didn't like your joke from the back of the room. And it just, Tom Webb bringing me into that fold was one of the most incredible things ever because it was so out of my, it was, it was so far from what I thought I was going to end up doing in yeah. stand up. 
and it 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 hastened everything. I think that first year or two go, and I would drive every Wednesday night from Beaumont to Times Square, and I'd do the show, and then I'd drive home, and it was 50-50. Some nights I did well, and some nights yeah. you wanted to drive that car into a guardrail, and <laughs> <laughs> I should quit. But that dude dragging me, just not even dragging me, giving the opportunity and making the place feel, I want, safe isn't the word, because it was not. Uh, it was a but, training ground for you. Yeah, making, he made me feel, I, I keep going back to the word safe, but he made it okay to be, to not do great. Like, bro, you're one of us. None of us do well every night. It was, uh, he took all the sharp edges off. Yeah, you're going to fail. This is going to suck. You're going to, you're going to get beat up a lot, but we're all getting beat up and nobody's mad that you're beat up. That's the, that was the part that felt safe. I was like, okay, this is, I'm supposed to fall. This is great. This wow. is wonderful. Yeah. So Tom Webb, man, rest in peace. Wow. That's, that's a great story. So let's switch gears a little bit to your entrepreneurship. I know that you owned a comedy business, which makes sense. You know, the comedy world, you were a comedian and that would make a natural progression. Um, and you've also had some other ventures. So maybe talk a little bit about how did you switch again, getting out of the box and becoming, you know, an entrepreneur? It's so for starters, and I think this is vital. You and I were having a conversation uh, prior to this, prior to us, uh, the interview about just even the title or my job title or how would, how, you know, and I don't know how this is going to resolve itself, but the, I'm so hesitant sometimes because every time I, every time we embrace the, if, every time I go, I am a comedian, I casually, silently, and not even on purpose am pushing other things that I might want to do to the side. So I get real weird about the labels. Uh, I wore too many of them for a long time. Uh, I was a smoker for a very long time. That was a, I, I was three packs a day for almost 15 years. And at that point, I, I owned the identity of smoker. You can't find a piece of press or publicity or an album cover, or anything of me prior to 2008 or nine that doesn't have a cigarette in its hand. Mm. And that, was probably my biggest hurdle in quitting smoking. It's the physical and all that other stuff aside, it was letting go of the identity of being a smoker. That was the hardest part. So as I go into these other things and I do other things, I get, I don't like wearing the label or the hat. Yeah, I'm a comedian, but I'm just, I'm a dude trying to be happy in his life uh, and I also have bills to pay, so I've got to do something about that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the comedy club was a, in my, I started comedy in 2000, uh, April of 2000. I opened the club in August of 2003 as a, I was kind of, I was still doing radio at the, when I started comedy. So I had some income and then I went to Mexico uh, for a wedding. And when I came home, the, the radio station had closed. Uh, it had sold while I was gone. I came back to like, nice. all right, I'll see you guys on Monday. And then I came back on Monday and there was no, there was no Monday. Um, and we ended up, my, my partner in the radio, uh, morning show at the time. And I ended up, we putting on some comedy, like, well, we'll just do a monthly or a uh, quarterly comedy show for charity, right? Comedy for a cause. And we'll sell sponsors on it, but we'll give all of the door to charity. And it'll, it'll get us through while we're trying to figure some stuff out. And that, exploded it was people showed up and we were all right well we'll do it monthly and then we moved to this hotel ballroom and struck a deal with them and it just kind of we, we got to a point where we're like are we about to find a brick and mortar location and open a club and 
I didn't even take it. I'm like, you're about to go into business with a 24-year-old kid? Like, this is nothing about it when I look back at it makes any sense at all. I had no idea what I was doing. And furthermore, I was the one who knew more out of the two of us. So it was how it happened still blows my mind. We got in, we 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 signed a lease, we 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 learned I learned, you know, how to run a bar. I all these things, it was these little pieces I just took subconsciously. Same thing I do now. I didn't know I was doing it. I went, well, I understand the bar industry and I understand the radio industry and promotions and I understand stand-up comedy. And if we can put all of that together, we can do this. And then you go learn the blanks. You learn how to fill out payroll tax. You learn all the boring stuff. You learn, okay, if I'm going to book comics, now it's about show structure and not just r random people on. And that opened up my understanding of the, the club owners I was trying to get work from. So now I have this inside damn, I'm sitting in the office doing the same thing they are. I know when I'm busy, I bet they're busy around the same time. I know when they're kind of dead, I bet they are. I know that I prefer email and not my phone ringing off the hook all the time. Let me try. Here's the packages. When someone sends me a press kit, here's what moves me and here's what doesn't. I'm able to wear both these hats at the same time. And it gave me so much insight and, and just push into stand-up comedy. Um, and those are the those are all these weird little things that I keep looking out for. And since then I've, I've, yeah, I owned a honey company. Uh, we were in whole foods for the longest time that started with a drunk conversation about the bees dying amongst some friends. And we were like, we should get a beehive and we got a beehive. And the next thing you know, we had 20 something beehives and a apiary on the Buffalo Bayou, uh, river or the, uh, out there at the Buffalo Bayou partnership. And we, then we harvest the honey. You're like, this is really good. We should bottle some and we'll sell it to some people. And then it ends up at Whole Foods. And it's just following that curiosity. And if at any point it ever stops being fun, you just do something else. We're yeah. so hungry. That honey company no longer exists. Not because it wasn't successful, not because it wasn't good. It, it doesn't exist because four people who have other endeavors uh, don't want to run a hunting company anymore. Mm -hmm. It's just that simple. Uh, and sometimes you sell those things and sometimes you close those things. Uh, I have a, you know, we do a motorcycle rally here in the center of Houston, Bikes on the Bayou, and we do it in concert with, it's myself and Outlaw Dave, uh, who's a Houston radio uh, icon. And mm -hmm. we, we partnered up with the city of Houston. Now we work with the mayor's office of special events. And it was all, those were these side conversations, these what ifs. And then you just, well, yeah. if you just keep, pushing and poking at that what if i just think so many times we go what if and we move on you don't write it down you yeah. don't internalize it you don't i mean i'm sitting here as we're i'm making notes as we're talking just because it's yeah. a things will pop into my head where i'm like i need to remember this later it's yeah. a this is going to come up later and if you don't the comic in me knows that more than anybody if you don't get up and write an idea down immediately that idea is gone and I yeah. don't care how many mnemonics you devise for yourself. I don't care where you put it in your dumb little memory palace. I don't care what trick you use on your bike ride to retain that information until you get home. It's gone. There's yeah. not, it's never coming back. I will pull over on the side of the road. I have notes on my phone. <laughs> I, I, you keep these things everywhere. Mitch Hedberg had that wonderful joke uh, where he goes, sometimes at night I think of something funny and I either got to get up and write it down or convince myself it was not that funny to begin with. <laughs> that's, good. that's good. And and that's 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 what I think all of this is. Yeah. It's the that just conversations leading to conversations that mm -hmm. talking to people and finding out what they do. And I'm saying this as an introvert. I don't enjoy 
that aspect. I don't like being in busy places around groups of people. I, that's Browns. not my bag. Yeah. yeah. Um, which sounds totally uh, counterintuitive to a stand-up comic. Who, right, before, right. But with, you know, I think we've spoken about this before. The, yeah. That's the most isolated place you can be. So it's well, a- As an introvert, you're used to isolation, so you can take that as a strength. <laughs> totally, that's the, that's the part that they're like, I can't believe that seems so public to me. And I'm like, it's not, it's a, it's a monologue. It's a, I get yeah. to walk up, say exactly what I think, and then leave there's no yeah. there's no chance for rebuttal there's no i don't yeah. get your side of it so that's the that that's the part of me that i have to fight against in my yeah. regular day-to-day -day life where it's like all of the good stuff i have comes from these conversations mm -hmm. getting a little and, bit in depth with small groups of people you know yeah and taking action because it's not just a thought that stays in your head and if this is a good lesson reminder for anybody listening that if you if any if something keeps showing up that hey i should do that i want to do that just do it, you know. Yes, uh, do it, do it, do it. The you, Lisa, you. There's something to because I'm, I'm big on this actionable stuff, right? Like the, it's all it's all great to talk about this. Uh, the notebook is the biggest one. I think the the series of events that get a thing from concept to to real. There's there's a series of them, and you can repeat them. The first one is capturing that idea in the first place. It's a it just the mere act of writing it down gives it tangible form for the first time it's a, it's like watching a ghost materialize you're just, oh there's a there's an outline here i can see it's more than an idea in your head and then two run the idea by other people it's going to sound dumb to some but you'll find that you get this group of friends or people around you and if you don't have it it's important to develop it that you can float a concept out there that's so ridiculous and just have them go, wow, I never thought of that. And by simply saying it out loud, you're doing another step. Also, by putting it out there to these people, you're going to start to find that there is feedback. There's real, someone's going to say, well, what about this? They're going to spark, Just they're just going to change the spin a little bit. And that's all you need. It's something you couldn't have done on your own. We get an idea in our head and we go, well, this is how it's going to be. And it can't ever be that. I let stuff germinate for a while. I'll let someone, I'll bounce it off some people. I think about it. I take it on bike rides. I sleep with it. And I just go, okay, what's this look like now? And weirdly, and I can't explain the mechanism or how all that works, but once it's out there, other stuff will happen to the idea. And it's beyond your ability to control. It's beyond your ability to even imagine. You just have to let it go for a second mm -hmm. and then take that thing and start on it. Yeah. That's it. That's yeah. it. Those are the yeah. three things. Write it down and capture it. Put it out there to other people and let it play in the world for a minute. And yeah. then just start. You don't yeah. have to finish. You don't have to finish. It doesn't have to be perfect. It's just, you know. It doesn't even have to be. It's a, I'm a big believer in done, right? Like you, you got you to gotta ship it. But you don't have to ship everything. You just got to start it. Mm -hmm. It's We have this this here in america it's very american that once you begin something you can't stop it it's why people are on season seven of shows they hate just because <laughs> i mean <laughs> it's a we have it in our head that the, we can't abandon certain endeavors and other places that like norway um for instance there's a there's a philosophical change there where changing your major isn't even as big of a deal as it is here we get into this you take your two core years of you know fundamentals and then those next two years once you start you are 
you're on that road. You're going to be a chemical engineer, whether that's what you end up. You know, we change in two years. Yeah. You don't know who you're going to be. And we, we're afraid to abandon that. Some of the uh, Scandinavia specifically that it's almost encouraged. Why would you go spend all this time and effort doing something? Now, granted, that's the, the, the financial structure of how college is paid for is different for sure. But the here, we're so afraid to walk away from things and just go, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to go be something else. And that's a terrifying place to be, to feel like you have to finish this daunting thing. If you start writing a book, if you get into that novel that you've had in your head and you realize, hey, I thought writing a novel was different than this. I didn't realize I had to wake up every morning for three hours and write, even when I didn't want to. I thought it was going to come easier. Guess what? You don't have to finish that book. It's mm -hmm. that easy. Go find something you do want to finish. It's just yeah. important that you're doing something you care about and not listlessly laying around going, ah, I could have done all this stuff and didn't. Yes, yes. Very good lessons there, Slade. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what future projects you're working on. What's to come for Slade Ham? It, I don't know. Um, this is a cool, terrifying, yeah. awesome, scary place to be, except I've been here so many times, it's almost comfortable. Uh, the road shut down everything I thought I was two years ago, a uh, year and a half ago, whatever. I, I say two years now because it feels like it's been two years. I was, I was working, I was, I was doing a lot of military contracts, uh, which I've, you know, I've still maintaining, but I was also taking some cruise ship contracts and I was working the road intensely. I was probably out 30 or 40 weeks a year. And that's a long time. I enjoy it. I love it. But I, I hadn't stopped doing it long enough to evaluate it. Like there's, that's the downside to being your own boss and employee is that you're also HR. And it's really easy to bullshit yourself when you come into HR. You like working here? And you go, I absolutely love working here. And you go, all right, cool. That's easy day, buddy. <laughs> and it's not until all that's taken away that you, and you have to face the concept of going back to it, that, that it really gets tested. And the truth is, I wasn't enjoying every element of that. There were many days that I'd wake up in cities I didn't want to be in. Mm -hmm. And I was doing it because it was a great paycheck and the shows were fun. But again, the formality is the show. You're seeing me on stage for an hour. I have to be in South Dakota the other 23 hours of that day. And <laughs> South Dakota's not bad. <laughs> it's, yeah, I don't know why I just randomly picked uh, <laughs> Sioux Falls. Uh, but the, the, th those are kinds those are the, re the realizations that I've come to and I go I don't know that I want to go back to that uh, and in the interim I found that while I had all this off time it allowed me to say yes to things that I never would have said yes to so there's been a lot of consulting in this last year or so I'm uh, a friend of mine is developing or has developed it's now out uh, this this moon tower tickets uh, company and it's competitive and awesome and fun. And he brings me in because I'm in the entertainment industry and I can find some of these pinch points and I understand the process of these things. And we were able to work out some of the deals and now it's launching into a lot of cool places, which is fun to see happen with something you, you know, help build, but you kind of helped at least buff out uh, or, or dry off towards the end. Uh, 
I'm, I'm working with uh, a very cool group of engineers and scientists uh, that I won't go into super detail about, but I'm on, a, I'm on an XPRIZE team for the uh, CO2 XPRIZE that Elon Musk is kind of uh, spearheading. Wow. And we're getting to, I love, I love science. I'm really bad at the math parts, but I, I, I gravitate to the conceptual side. So I'm like, if you look on my bookshelf and weird stuff in the background, it's just like a bunch of stuff about quantum physics and things I don't understand, but I'm like, like ah, it makes me so happy to read. Um, I got called in to kind of look at some of this stuff from different angles. It's the, that vantage point we always talk about. Cool, what's the, this is where everybody's looking at it from. And especially, you know, sometimes if it's an engineer or someone who deals with math or a very singular focal uh, direction that you can be, you can kind of disrupt that and you can kind of go, oh, have you thought about this? And you're not held back by years and math and science and data and all this stuff that they understand. I just get to go, why doesn't the moon go in a circle? You know, it's a, <laughs> um, but it's been, it's been awesome to, to, yeah. to, to dig into that. And it's, it's made me want to play and and like spend more time in these different arenas than i currently do it's like i want to walk around i want to i want to work in a building where every office has something different going on without it being actual offices or a building i just want to <laughs> be around crazy cool people doing wild things and see how i can influence that that's where i want to go and in the process you know, I'm, I'm, I'm deep into the second book. Uh, I'm, I'm almost done with this new album and we released What's your second different... book about? It's, it's, it's an extension of um, kind of what I, what I did in the first book. There's a lot of road stories in there, but it, it merges more, I guess, philosophically with what I've learned over the last, I've changed so much in the last five years. And when I wrote that last book, I think I was a kind of by the time I published it, I was a very different dude than the guy who wrote it. And this has been a more concentrated form of, I think I'm close, I'll be closer to the, the guy who wrote it will be closer to the guy who publishes it. And that's, that's what's got me excited. Um, it's a little bit of, it's a little bit of um, Kerouac and a little bit of Zen in the art of motorcycle maintenance and a little bit of, uh, you know, it's me. It's all, it's all me. <laughs> very cool, very cool. Yeah. And then podcasts. There's the podcast. Oh, yeah. Let's world. talk about I'm, I'm... that a little bit. I know you collaborate with other comedians and you have a very successful podcast. Um, tell us a little bit about how that got started and what you're doing with it. It's, you know, again, that that take what you know and take what you want to do and yeah. mush them together. I was I had a radio background. I had a weird uh, stack of equipment from those days. I had a mixing board and microphones and things that were from my home studio that I was using to just record commercials and voiceover stuff when I was at the station. And you go, well, there's, there's this emerging, uh, art form. This was in 2011. Uh, we started in February of 2011. It's now 10 wow. plus years. And at the time, there weren't a ton of podcasts. I mean, we right. were we were at the top. We were in the top ten. You could literally Joe Rogan, us, Adam <laughs> Carolla, um, and then the the like everything happens. The the quality, um, the ability to put out quality product was no longer dependent on me having thousands of dollars worth of radio station equipment in my house. It was suddenly wait, you can just plug a microphone into your laptop and you're doing the same thing I'm doing. That's that. This is twenty years and twenty thousand dollars, and this is you got two minutes and 140 this is not this yeah. is not fair um <laughs> fair be damned the reality is that everything happens that way a concept yeah. you know goes from concept to reality to 
uh, normalized and everybody gets into it. It's this has happened with every industry that's ever happened. It's when yeah. stand when I started stand up, there were nowhere near as many stand ups. Uh, podcasting, the same thing. So you launch it, you get it out there, it morphs, it changes, it turns into something different. It's a the Whiskey Brothers has been for you know ten plus years a writer's room for me. It's an opportunity to get in a place with my buddies with no repercussions and spit an idea out and have four guys just dogpile on it and be fun and, and entertaining. Mm -hmm. And that's great. And I love it. And we're now we're doing a three camera shoot, which is so far from what we started out doing with these little MP3s. And, you know, I have a live director and we live switch and the whole thing is it's 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 this totally different deal. Um, that has splintered into these other side projects. I do a kind of nerd centric show called The Spoiler Room that only airs live where we talk of, you know, the stuff I'm into on the side, my Star Wars stuff. And I, I did this thing called Eyes on the Ground, which was a 12 part uh, series last year, very artistically driven, very creative driven. Um, it's just neat to know that back to what we were talking about earlier, once you grasp the fundamentals of something, you're able to get in and play. You don't have to know all of it. You just got to go, I'm willing to learn the basics. I, I don't have to know how to work on every car in the entire world. I don't have to memorize the schematics and this and that to understand that for an engine to start, you need some form of fuel and oxygen. Like there's just, there's, you know how an engine works without knowing how every engine works. And that's, it's the same thing with podcasting or stand up or oil paints or, or or starting a bakery or whatever it is you do mm -hmm. it's it's just the act of learn the fundamentals see if you like this put the if you if you you don't buy clothes without trying them on you don't you don't buy you walk around in boots for you decide if you like them there we do this all the time mm -hmm. we just have some weird dumb line that we draw between certain things and other things some of them it's okay to abandon and some of them it's not it's different for everybody yeah very good well, thank you, Slade. It was excellent. And I hope anybody that's watching this, if you're in the Houston area, Slade is always popping up in different venues around there. Please check them out. And um, and I think this lessons that you got from today's video are definitely applicable. And I hope uh, Slade provided you guys with some inspiration on how to apply, take action, get off the fence, get out of the box, all of those different things we talked about today. I do, uh, I do, I do a newsletter that comes out every other week, and it uh, comes out on Tuesdays. You can sign up for it at SladeHam.com. Um, but one of the big things, I there's several people over the years. Uh, a lot of it's inspirational. It always has a bit of a funny tinge, but it's a lot of this kick you in the ass and get up, get up and do something kind yes. of stuff. And I've got some remarkable friendships with people that I I've never met who through that list have reached out with weird questions or what do you think about this and it's I'm always into that. So if you're on that list and you do respond to some of those emails or you have questions or you need a, a little private push, I'm very, I'm very happy to do that. Very cool. Thank you, Slade. And thank you guys for watching. Uh, if you like this video, please hit the subscribe button and also the bell to be alerted when the next video drops and see you next time. Bye.